Welcome to the podcast of Lancaster Brethren in Christ Church, located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. LBIC is a community being transformed by the love of Jesus, sharing this love with all people. We want this podcast to be an extension of our community and a connection with familiar voices. Together, we want to think about how to follow Jesus in our particular moment. So enjoy the podcast. We're grateful to have you join us as a part of the LBIC family. Anyway, so I don't know, maybe you have those kinds of uh, experiences or whatnot, but um, I share those stories today because Advent is a season of expectations, and this morning in the scriptures, what I'd like us to do is reflect on our own expectations. Uh, The psalm that we'll read this morning helps us to reflect on our expectation of God, or not only the psalm, but the, the... the gospel reading um, will help us reflect on what we expect God to be and what God to be like. And so let's look at the psalm together first, Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10. Um, In it, we hear these expectations of who God is and what God does and what God is like. So this is what the psalmist says. Blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Uh, Theologian Abraham Kuyper says this of this particular psalm. He says, there's not one square inch of all of creation where the Lord does not say, mine. Uh, This psalm kind of represents to us one end of the spectrum, one end of the human experience. Um, It represents uh, a quality and characteristic of creation where Everything is well, as Julian of Norwich says, where all is well and all shall be well. This is what Laura Esch last week when she shared uh, her story uh, of of pregnancy and, and anticipatory hope. This is what we hope for. We live with anticipatory hope towards these things. All of what the psalmist says here is something that we hope towards. And so this end of the spectrum, and I like how Jane pulled out the ends of the spectrum, especially within that song, the, the infancy and the beauty of, of a baby where we bow down in reverence to the gruesomeness. Uh, there's the spectrum that Christianity all together embraces, and we don't have to choose one, uh, but what you like to say here regularly is we find our life often in the middle, kind of going back and forth or, and, and not landing, so to speak, but finding ourselves in the middle of, of the spectrums. And so on one end, the spectrum describes a confident hope and assurance. These are characteristics of God. This is what we put our hope in. As Laura said last week, this is what we anticipate and we hope towards. But then we get today's gospel reading on the other end of the spectrum, and we find John the Baptist in a very, very different position. So this is how Matthew describes uh, uh, the theme of expectation here in John's life. Matthew 11, verses 2 through 11. When John, who was in prison, 
heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples uh, were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among the men born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet who has ever least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than he. So let's think for a few minutes about the expectations and hopes of, of John the Baptist. At this point in time, we have seen a lot of interactions with John the Baptist between him and Jesus. And so there's a, a reason to believe that John has every reason to have confidence and hope in this person who he's asking this question of. If you remember, uh, before John was even born into the world, uh, Mary shows up on Elizabeth, his mom's doorstep, and he's doing somersaults inside of her womb just at the sound of Mary's voice. And so Mary is early on in her pregnancy, but these, these two cousins seem to know each other. And as cousins, they would grow up together. And so if you're growing up in that family, you would hear stories probably about your cousin is supposed to be the savior of the world. Think about your cousin being the savior of the world. Can't picture it. Anyway, so he grows up alongside uh, uh, his cousin, knowing these things that have been said about him. Earlier on then in the gospels, uh, in other gospels, we read descriptions of, of John. He's baptizing people. He sees Jesus at a distance, and he says, look, that's the lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the world. So he's proclaiming to the people, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the one who's going to save us. And he baptizes Jesus. And in that moment when he baptizes Jesus, there's this voice from heaven that comes and the spirit descends on him in the, in the form and the shape and characteristics of the dove. Like he's experienced some amazing things. And yet he's still asking this question. If anyone should have been confident in who Jesus was, John should have been the one. But like Justin pointed out this morning, expectations really shape what we look for. And if Jesus was who John said that Jesus was, then who Jesus turned out to be and who he was challenged who John thought Jesus would be. Because as Justin mentioned again this morning, along with all the other Israelites at the time, what they're expecting is an overthrow. What they're expecting is Rome to be overthrown, for the people of God to be restored, for, for Jerusalem and the people to be restored to their once former glory. And so this would have been John's expectation too. But his circumstance, remember where he is at this point, John is in prison, he's sending word to. His circumstance casts doubt on who he thought Jesus was, 
and what he thought Jesus would do. Mark Yours says this, and this quote's in your bulletin. He says, it's easy to believe in God in the bright sunlight when all is joyful and free. But let the iron doors of difficulty slam shut and doubt is there in the darkness. John is the one who's sitting in a prison cell at the hands of Herod, who's a puppet ruler for Rome. The very rule that the the Messiah is supposed to overthrow, he's suffering at the hands of the people who still continue to oppress them. Both John's expectations and John's situation causes him to call into question one who he previously had full confidence in, in proclaiming who he was. So I want to pause here and help us reflect for a moment because John's story, I think, provides us a place and provides us some company and companionship for those of us who um, at one time, at one point in time in our lives may have had just this utter confidence in Jesus. We may have proclaimed Jesus, uh, but we find ourselves in a very uh, different place um, because situations have not worked out like we thought they might have, or we've had expectations that have failed, and we have asked similar questions as John asks. Is Jesus really the one? Is Jesus really the way? Is this Christianity thing the way? Does the church make a difference at all? All of these questions we can kind of extrapolate out of John's question to Jesus. Because he was one who, had, who ought to have had full confidence in who Jesus was. And at one time he did and he proclaimed it to everybody who would listen to him. And now he's alone in a prison cell and he's asking questions. And again, we have the spectrum of faith, don't we? On one hand, we have this, this confidence that leads us to proclaim. On the other hand, we have this place where situations and expectations cause doubt. And they're both here in the gospel, and both of these things are directed to Jesus. And so I think it can encourage us uh, to find a home here. Because what's also interesting is Jesus' response to John. He just says to whomever John sends, his friends or the people who are caring for him in prison, he doesn't respond, of course I'm the Messiah. Of course I am. The scriptures prove it. You've proclaimed it already. You just need to believe it. He doesn't respond in any way that makes John do something. Instead, and and this is is such a Jesus posture, right? He, He throws it back to John in a very generous and open way. And he just says, look, here's what's happening. Tell him what you see and tell him what you hear. And this is the beauty of God, friends, and how God relates to us is he, he, he describes this and then he leaves it open-handed for you to receive it or not. And so, so the posture of God towards us is this, this is me, this is who I am. What will you do with it? Jesus isn't coercive in any way, but Jesus simply sends the message back and John has to decide. Uh, that that uh, last line in the in the gospel reading, um, that that John is is the least in the kingdom of heaven, 
Um, some say, uh, some of the commentators say, it's because uh, John has to decide for himself. At this point in his life, he has to decide for himself whether or not to become a disciple of Jesus himself. And so it's not just enough to, to be confident and to proclaim, but, but he, has to, he has to make this decision for himself whether or not this Jesus who's revealed to him is going to be one who he chooses to follow too. So expectations, this Messiah that shows up is not the one that John or Israel expects. Jesus then turns to the crowd. So uh, he, he deals with John's disciples or John's friends, sends them back on their way. And then he turns to the crowd and starts talking to them about John. And he gives them a few descriptions about how to consider who John might be. First, was John, <coughs> excuse me, was John just a reed shaken by the wind? I want to, he gives two examples of, of who John might be. And I want to just think about these things for, uh, for a few minutes. Um, one, a reed shaken by the wind. Uh, when I read this, I, I feel like Jesus is saying something to the effect of, did you expect to go out into the desert and find some spiritual guru who's going to be leading you how to be at one with the universe? Because a reed, right, if you know what a reed is, it's a very thinly, the, the depth that it has in terms of it and its soil is very thin. And it blows about, oh, it's kind of this waffly sort of thing. So what do you expect to go out to find? Some spiritual guru, some, and, uh, somebody who's just going to teach you how to, how to be at one with all the stars and the universe and where God is all in all in all. And then he says, on the other hand, or what about somebody who's dressed in soft robes, who are uh, indicating somebody who's in a palace that indicates somebody who's part of the system, right? And so it might be soft robes, but they're, they're part of uh, uh, the people who oppress. And Jesus says, no, not there either. And actually, the psalm that we read this morning, a few verses that we didn't read beforehand, says, don't put your trust in princes, then he says, or, uh, uh, and, and after those two uh, things, he calls him a prophet. A prophet. He says, no, this is a prophet. In contrast uh, to the reed and the prince, the prophets, they're, they're tough people. Like uh, the phrase, they, they set their face like flint came to mind. Um, they're not easily blown from here to there. Neither are they in palaces. They might have consulted princes when the princes or the kings would actually call them in, but uh, actually all the prophets that we have in Scripture have always been outside the system. They've never been a part of the system. The princes and the kings actually had prophets that were a part of the system, and those were the prophets that the real prophets criticized because all they did, all those false prophets did, was say, everything's going to be okay. Mr. King, what do you want to hear? This is what I'll tell you then. You know, but that's not the role of the prophets in the scriptures. Rather, the role of the prophet, and I put this down for you because it's, it's good to understand, um, the role of the prophet was to look at what is, and so they look at the situation of what is, name what should be, and so oftentimes uh, what the prophets do is they look at what is, Name what should be because there is a gap between what is and what should be. And then remind the people of what will be. 
either what God will do to redeem or restore them or what God will do to judge them because there is this gap. The role of the prophet in the scriptures is to close this gap between the people and God to help the people live in congruence with who God wants the people to be. Jesus says, John is a prophet who's preparing the way. And I want to sit with that phrase for a minute. Leah, if you want to put this picture up. Um, this is, uh, anybody know uh, the, the Camino de Santiago or the uh, Camino de Compostela? Um, it's a trail of St. James. It's a pilgrimage um, that goes from France to the, the coast of Spain. My, my dream is that on my next sabbatical, Ruby and I can walk this. Um, I don't know if it'll happen or not. Um, but this is a picture from, from the, the, the Santiago. Um, and I love the, uh, the phrase of the way. Because the way involves movement. Early Christianity was called the way. It wasn't called Christianity at first. It was called, um, people were called the followers of the way. Um, I think it's actually more descriptive of our experience of our earthly life. Because one of the expectations, I think, that we have of our lives here on earth is that sometime we're going to arrive, or sometime there will be final resolution. And I'm not saying that you won't have moments of arrival or moments of revolution, resolution, um, but I think there's this expectation when everything will just settle out and we can just kind of put it on cruise control. And all of us know that that experience just does not happen. But it's almost like this pseudo thing that hangs out there that maybe someday it will. And so we continue to look for it. And we continue to be disappointed because we never arrive or there's never resolution. It feels like we continue simply to go along on the way. But I think that's characteristic of life, and I think it's characteristic of following Jesus. And I wonder what would happen if we would uh, allow our expectations to be transformed to one that just says, I am going to be continually on the way. I'm going to be continually on the way. Because it's descriptive as following, of movement, of constant attentiveness to God and to a response to God's leading. The, the way is, you pick all these metaphors up in the scripture, the, the way is the desert, right? Where they're led by cloud, pillar of fire, and pillar of smoke, cloud. Where the people are led, they don't have this ability to determine and set, this is the way we're going to go, but they're continually responding to the way that the Spirit leads. And the way is moving from the, your homeland to a place of exile and, and putting up a house. You know, the, the, the way is working to rebuild ruins. That, will, that work will last your whole lifetime. Um, the way is working faithfully with what is rather than what we would have it to be. So the way doesn't imply arrival, it implies walking one way and not another. It implies walking one way and not another. It implies walking in the way of Jesus and not in the way of the world. 
I wonder what would happen if we would consider our lives and the activity of our lives simply as continuing to walk along on the way. If we considered the way as normal, always moving towards the place and the characteristics of the psalm that we read earlier, right? Always moving towards that fullness of who God is. But in this life, friends, it's always going to be partial and we're always going to be moving towards it. I wonder what would happen if we consider that we're on the way to a place while passing through this world. Now, there's, there's this old... Um, way of thinking, you know, I'm just a passing through sort of thing. That's not what I'm talking about in terms of, because it, that kind of mentality um, treats our earthly life as if it's insignificant. I'm not, I'm not talking about our earthly life being insignificant and just passing through. I'm talking about um, the nature of the life that we live will one day be completely transformed with new heavens and new earth. But our experience is going to be following the way of Jesus, which is a narrower way, in the midst of the way of this world. And that tension that we have is going to be ongoing through our entire life. Through our entire life. And that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Because we're on this spectrum, right? We've already said it a few times this morning. There's a spectrum of experience. Sometimes there, it is incredibly difficult. And sometimes we do feel and sense and experience fulfillment. But it's going to be this spectrum where Jesus is on the way with us, moving us towards the fulfillment of everything that he has for us. But it's not going to happen in this life. It's not going to happen with anything that we do. The, the scripture is pretty clear that any transformation of the world as we know it that is going to be into a new heavens and a new earth is not going to be from us improving everything, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to work for good, but it's going to be an ultimate transformative act of God. And in the middle of waiting for that ultimate transformative act, we continue faithfully on the way. And this is where James in the New Testament text this morning gives us some wisdom. Some wisdom on the way. How to walk in the way. Just listen to this as it is. As an encouragement as we walk on the way. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. Other versions say beloved. Be patient then, beloved until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming, because the fulfillment of all things is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Those prophets who saw what is and who named what should be 
and reminded of the people of what will be. Consider the prophets. Be patient in the face of suffering. So friends, as, as the family of God, we are followers of Jesus who are on the way. And uh, uh, one of the wonderful things about the way, and if you want to take this, oh, you took the image down, put the image back up. Good Thank you. Oh, you're quick on the click. Um, one of the beautiful things about the way is, uh, I don't know how many of you have done walks or hikes with friends. Um, I've done this with, with some regularity. And one of the... One of the best things about walks, one of the best things about pilgrimages is that you do it with friends. And this is what the family of God is meant to be, is people who are walking on the way together through this world with, with all that this world throws at us, all the difficulties that it throws at us, all the ways that it tries to, to, to kind of pull us off track, right? But we walk together with a group of people that's what the local church is. That's what this family is here. We walk together with this group of people. We're one of, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands or whatever throughout the world, right? But this is why the local church and the local body is so important. And it's also important that you know each other, right? That you're not lost in the local body because we walk this way together. And as we walk together, we have companions on the way to encourage us, to help us when we twist our ankles on this unsuspecting rock in the middle of things, right? But we're on the way together. And that's a large part of what it means to be the family of God. We're going in a trajectory together. We're going uh, towards Zion, so to speak, um, together. We are going towards the reality of what will be together under the lordship of Jesus together. We're following Jesus together. So I wonder if we shifted our expectation as followers of Jesus from always uh, looking for this point of arrival where we've arrived to simply receiving the, the truth and the reality that we'll always just be walking the way faithfully. Following Jesus, who is this? And this is a bit of the rewriting from the psalm this morning. So we walk the way following Jesus, who is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, who remains faithful forever, who upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, who sets prisoners free, who gives sight to the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down, who loves the righteous, who watches over the foreigner, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but who frustrates the way of the wicked. The Lord Jesus reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. I just want to invite us into a moment of quiet, um, just contemplative silence. If you want to close your eyes, you can do that. But again, just trusting and wanting to create some space for uh, the Holy Spirit to bring to mind or to heart maybe a thought or a word. Um, that God just wants you to receive today as you think about your life and as you think about God. So let's just create a moment of silence and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer as we prepare for communion.
servers, would you come forward? And would you join me? Let's pray this prayer that Jesus has given us together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and gave thanks. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. If you're new here with